Welcome back to Rare! I'm Ashley, and this week, I'm all alone. And don't worry, Ricky will be all alone next time! We're deciding to mix things up and just do something a little bit different. Well, enough of the details, let's roll the dice and get this episode started. everybody I'm Ashley and I'm here to talk all about some of my favorite games some favorite things I like to do while playing games and anything I like about games in general so one of my all-time favorite games is probably kill dr. lucky just because it's something that really helped me get involved into board gaming in general and it felt kind of like a regular board game in a sense while being absolutely completely different so kill dr lucky is a three to eight player board game plays about 45 minutes um, and is designed by james ernest and it is published by cheap ass games um, one of the, the things that I really like about Kill Dr. Lucky is that you have your board that has all the rooms, um, a little bit like a clue board. It's, it's a giant like mansion type house. So there's a ton of different little rooms. And the point of the game is that you try to get in a room alone with Dr. Lucky because you have a a score to settle with him. He did something to you and you just want to kill him. And um, the stipulation is that you have to be alone in the room with Dr. Lucky and that no other players can have line of sight with you from that room. Um, so it involves a lot of moving around, um, getting to the right sort of area that Dr. Lucky will be in because he follows the room in a sequential order because all the rooms are numbered. Now, when you try to kill Dr. Lucky, other players can use spite to combat you, like, killing him. And um, the cards have different spite amounts. So I have a base strength of one, and I go to kill Dr. Lucky. And then you would play spike card down, and we would only need one. Now, the way the spike card works is that if it were my turn and I was trying to kill Dr. Lucky, the player to my left would get a chance to play spike card. They can pass and keep passing it around the board. The thing is, if it gets to the last player and they don't play enough spite to stop me, then I do kill Dr. Lucky. So it involves a little bit of co-op, a little bit of trusting another player, a little bit of backstabbing another player into playing more cards because the spike cards could also be weapons that you can use and equip to help kill Dr. Lucky. And for every failed attempt, so if I were to kill Dr. Lucky and it failed, I would add a spike card 
underneath my character card and that would give me more power than to try to kill Dr. Lucky again. So for every failed murder attempt, you get a plus one to your next attempt. So the more you try, the better your chances are at killing Dr. Lucky. So keep trying to kill him. You'll get there eventually. And Kill Dr. Lucky just, just really holds a special place in my heart. And I actually wasn't able to get my hands on it for a, a good long while. Um, it was always out of stock because I think it was in between printings. Um, and I actually got really lucky and got the 19 and a half anniversary edition of Kill Dr. Lucky, which is a double-sided board with just a different house layout. And it even comes so that you can play with like half of a house layout for a, a quicker and smaller kind of game, which is really nice. Um, so another game that it was actually at one of kind of the first board game events that I went to and they had a bunch of games laid out that you could learn to play and just sit down and play it. And one that caught um, kind of our group's eye was called Nuns on the Run because we thought it was a really funny name of a game. Um, that is... Um, two to eight players, another 45 minute runtime. Um, the publisher is Mayfair Games and the designer is Frederick Moyerson, I think. <laughs> so a nuns on the run is uh, where you are a, a novice nun or a nun in training who um, have a secret wish. And the way the game works is on the board, there are um, different dots that are numbered and you have a secret wish card and on your secret wish card, there is a, a, a key you need to find in order to get your secret wish. And like the way the, the movement works is that one player or two, if you have enough, are playing as the uh, abbesses, <laughs> I guess. And um, the way that it works is that a novice nun has hidden movement. You're writing down on a little piece of paper where your nun is. Otherwise, they stay in their little bedrooms unless an abbess sees them. And the way the abbesses work is that they are following along a predetermined path and they are either taking it nice and slow or they're picking up the pace a little bit. And the way the novice nuns work is that they can kind of do the same thing is that they can do it very slow and steady or they can do it fast. And the faster you are, the louder you are. Now, obviously, for the abbesses, it doesn't matter if they're loud, but they can miss things if they move faster. And the goal of the novice nun is to first get to the location, with, which has your key, which it'll be on your little card. It'll say what number dot you need to go to. And then the secret wish is always behind a specially locked door, hence why you need to pick up the key first. So once you get the key, you write it down in your little... Um, note card that you picked up your key 
and then you keep moving along. Now, if an abbess sees a novice nun, they can, um, the novice nun gets a chance to kind of take off and the abbess is going to try to send you to your room. But once you turn the corner, the abbess, and you're no longer in the abbess's line of sight, you can go right back to trying to get your secret wish. Um, it was one of the first kind of hidden movement games that I played. And it wasn't um, necessarily a, a co-op game, but it was where one player was trying to go against multiple other players. So it was kind of fun to not be worried about kind of what other players are doing and try to stop what they're doing because you're focused purely on yourself. It's a very self-reliant game, and while another player can distract one of the abbesses, there's always another one to be worried about as well. So it's, I feel like it's a pretty decently balanced game in that sense, but I will say the abbesses have a really hard time in catching the novice nuns, but it's always a lot of fun to take off running and trying to sneak around and just getting to where you need to go. And the novice nuns have really, they can have really hilarious secret wishes. Like, so it can range anywhere from a, a, uh, some cookies or <laughs> a book on witchcraft or maybe a nice mattress or maybe some drugs. Like the, the novice nuns have all kinds of wild wishes that they want. And that, that was, um, Nuns on the Run was a game that I did get to pick up right when I played it. So it was, it was so nice to be able to play a game, see how it's played, understand how it's played, and have somebody there who kind of knew how to read rules and really helped lead us through how this game worked. Because um, it was a game I had never seen like it before, and that's why I wanted it so bad after we got done playing it because it was so different it was so differently styled the artwork is really fun on it um the board is massive and it's it's really a a riot to play it's really great with like a lot of people and everybody is scrambling around trying to get their secret wishes and the abbesses are trying to hunt down the novice nuns making sure they're not out of bed it's it's kind of a little bit of a heartwarming game for me. And it's not one that I break out a whole lot, but I love seeing it on my shelf and being like, yeah, that has some nice memories tied to it. One of the things I love about board gaming is it can really bring out different sides of people. Like it can be... um it can bring like a shyer person out a little bit. It could see um, a more aggressive person maybe calm down a little bit. They're all depending on the type of game you're playing. So like playing a co-op game with somebody who doesn't normally work well with others can be a great way to maybe figure out how to work together and maybe speak a language that they can understand. 
because games bring a lot of communication to the table. And I think communicating is a number one thing that people do need to do, but everybody has a different way of communicating. And I feel that games are a great way to try to express on maybe some way of how you're thinking and it could help people learn to communicate with you and you learn to communicate with them. Because even something like going over a rule book, everybody reads things differently. Everybody reads into things differently. It's a lot of the time sometimes how like house rules are born is that somebody misread a rule and now that's how they play the game and maybe it doesn't affect the game that much maybe it changes it drastically but you can kind of learn how they do things you know maybe that's how how they played the game growing up and it could do a little insight into you know the background of a person there are just so many different types of games and each one have something special or something that really speaks to someone. And if you don't like how a certain game plays or you don't like a certain style, like talking about nuns on the run and how it has a hidden movement, that can be a little bit hard for some people to understand and to get and to connect with. So maybe a hidden movement game isn't good for them, but maybe something like pandemic might be fantastic for them where um, you can play with open hands or you cannot but you very clearly communicate where you're going what you're doing how you're doing things and it's a very open communication kind of game and speaking of pandemic that was a game that I learned incorrectly with a group of people we all thought it was the world's hardest game couldn't figure out how it was played. We thought we were playing it correctly and we just kept losing. Now, Pandemic isn't a game that is necessarily easy. It does take a lot of thought to it, but we were just losing in like three turns, which is <laughs> really incorrect. Like we were doing, I can't remember even now what we were doing incorrectly. Um, but Pandemic is a two to four player game and plays about 45 minutes and it's designed by Matt Leacock and it's published by Z-Man Games and Pandemic is uh, a, a good, I don't want to say like a good starter game, but if you're looking for something that is a little bit more difficult, but co-op meaning it's really easy to help other people play the game, then Pandemic is a really fantastic game. There's a ton of different roles you can play. Um, you're moving around the a global map. Um, you're kind of a little bit learning how stuff spreads as far as outbreaks and, you know, things like that. Um... And there is the legacy versions. You have season zero, season one, and season two. We're still working through our season one legacy game, but it has been an absolute ton of fun. So I highly recommend if you want to get a legacy game, check out the pandemic legacy game. 
it is worth it. You, I don't want to spoil anything because that's part of the game is that you learn stuff as you play the game and everybody's game will turn out differently based on the decisions they make. But there's a lot of stuff you can do to the game and really personalize it for yourself and your choices will change the game. Um, and it's, it's a really great game. It's, it's another kind of soft spot game for me just because of the difficulty we had in playing it and then learning how it was played and then playing it correctly. It It's just there's like a really like sweet fulfilling moment when you figure out how a game works after struggling to learn it. There's just a nice like fulfilled feeling you get when you play a game and complete it, especially one that you thought was impossible. Uh, a game that I still haven't gotten, but I have really enjoyed it and I've talked about it before is the captain is dead now um i'm also a fan of co-op-y type games where all the players are working together against the game because i feel like that it gets a good sense of accomplishment especially if everybody works so well together and i like the captain is dead because it can play with a larger group of people it's slightly more of like a party kind of game um it's two to seven players and it's um 60 to 90 minutes and it is uh, published by aeg or all direct entertainment group and it's designed by joe price and jt smith um the captain is dead is kind of like a um a riff on like your space movies like kind of like um the Star Trek series a little bit more. Um, but in The Captain is Dead, um, it's what it sounds like. The captain has died on the ship. And the ship is under attack from aliens. And each player takes a role on the ship. Um, each crew member gets a special ability. So, um, one that I remember specifically because of, like, the, the Star Trek reference was the red shirt, and that every time the red shirt dies, they respawn back onto the, um, the deck. So, nobody else really dies, um, because once you're hit, you're kind of just, like, down and paralyzed, and somebody can revive you, um, but the red shirts, when they get hit, they die, and then they respawn. <laughs> um, so all of them have kind of like little um, quirks to them. I know there's kind of like a um, hologram, which is a another Star Trek reference. <laughs> um, and the hologram can go to any part of the ship unless the... Um, transmitters are down. When the transmitter is down, the hologram is stuck in the core and can't do anything except stuff in the core. Um, so parts on the ship will start breaking down. Crew members have to fix them, get things back up online. Sometimes some things are down and it's okay. You can wait for them to come back up. You don't need them right away. 
Other times it will greatly impact how or what you're doing. The aliens will come onto the ship and start taking crew members out. You're trying to get the ship's engines back online or kind of like the the jump core because you want to jump to hyperspace. But while you're trying to fix the the ship's engine, other things are breaking down and you need to get those fixed as well to try and hold off the aliens that are attacking your ship. Um, so you're, you're going through a deck of events that are happening and that's what d- decides like if the aliens are attacking or if um, the aliens are attacking a certain function of the ship and then that goes down. Um, there are items on the ship that you can kind of pass around a little bit, but then if things go down, you can't pass them around and it's a very nerve wracking game and I greatly enjoy it because you're trying so hard to get the ship's engines back online. And it's such a highly cooperative game that you have to work together to get this to happen because this game is very hard but in a seriously fun way. And there are a couple different versions of this game. I think there's one where um, the captain is dead and it's on like a planet. So there is the the captain is dead, dangerous planet. And then there is uh, the captain is dead, lockdown. The captain is dead, dangerous planet is where the captain dies on the planet and you're stuck on the planet trying to survive and um the captain is dead lockdown is uh you manage to avoid blowing up your ship but you're captured by aliens um so the way it works is that they're actually kind of episodic so it goes the captain is dead the and then the captain is dead locked down because you didn't blow up your ship but you were captured by the aliens and then the captain is dead dangerous planet which is which is where you escape the prison and you crash land on a dangerous planet <laughs> so from what I've heard, they all play relatively the same, so pick a theme that you like with it and then roll with it. Um, but I really I really like The Captain is Dead. I've heard that a lot of people have um, kind of fiddled around with it and made it to where they play single player, which I think is fantastic because, you know, why not try to run a couple characters yourself and just try to fix the ship? <laughs> Um, speaking of solo play games, one of my favorite games to play solo is Okie Dokie, um, for multiple reasons, because, um, the name is Okie Dokie, <laughs> and then the other reason is that it's kind of, um, a solitary-based game. I mean, not super solitary-based, you still have a hand and you are trying to put on a music festival and the trick of the game is that you have to play all 50 cards in 10 columns but you have to play them in a very specific order so um 
Okie dokie is one to five players. It plays uh, 16 minutes to 32 minutes, so it can be pretty short overall. Um, and it's designed by Hisashi Hayashi, and it's published by Okazu Brand and Tasty Minstrel Games. And Okie dokie is a little bit deceiving. It's a very cutesy, but it's ridiculously hard. And there are ways to make it easier. There are basically wild cards that you can add in um, that don't necessarily clog up the deck. You don't have to use them, but they are there to use. And if you're looking for a harder game, you can take the wild cards out. So there are five different colors. And each of the five colors has eight numbers and there are 10 columns because each row also has two resets so each color will have one through eight and then each sorry each row will have one through eight and each row will also have two resets that you need to use and the trick of the game is that in your hand you have cards and when i say it's like kind of solitary when you're playing solo by yourself you have a hand of 10 cards and you have to play a card and when you play a card you can start with any color but once you start with a color so like let's say you start with red you'll want to play the lowest number you can because you can only go in sequential order. So if you lay down a seven, you could only lay down something higher than seven. So you could only lay down an eight after your seven. And the other trick then is, so I first laid down a red. Now I can't lay down another red card until I fill all the other colors up with that first column. And the other trick is that you can't have resets in the same column. So that means you have to plan on the order you're putting your numbers in because you don't want to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, because then you'll have two resets at the end of every row and you can't have that. They all have to be in different columns. And it can be a daunting but once you sort of get going you understand what you're doing and then you get to like your last like three columns and you realize you've forgotten to play the right number of resets so you have three columns and five resets <laughs> or four resets and then you realize you've lost the game because you can't possibly play the resets in different columns <laughs> i always get my columns and my rows mixed up but okie dokie is insanely addictive i think when you play with multiple people it is hidden hands and the other trick when you're playing with multiple people is that you can't directly say what you have so i couldn't be like oh i have a blue five that i really want to play you can be like somebody can ask you you can say, you can't give a hint of the value 
of the card. Um, but you can say that you have a blue card. You can say that you have several blue cards. Um, or you can say that you would like to be able to play a reset. So the kind of the only stipulation is that you can't say the number on your card. So you can't say, oh, I have a six. But you can be like, oh, I have a blue. So if somebody else is going to go play a blue, you'd be like, no, no, no. I'm going to play a blue. <laughs> um, and then, or you can say like, oh, I can play a reset for the purple row or something like that. So otherwise, it is um, very easy peasy. <laughs> I, I have not beaten the game. I have gotten pretty close, but I have gotten pretty close with wilds. Um, but it's a ton of fun once you get it out. You're just like, oh, darn, I was so close. Okay, reset everything, shuffle all the cards, reset your resets, and let's go again. Because overall, it's pretty short. I really like that it's only a deck of cards, basically. Um, and it comes in a little box, so it does travel well. I think the only downside with it is that it has it takes up a, a decent amount of table space because it is 10 columns and five rows. So it's, a, you know, <laughs> 50 cards laid out. It can be a lot. Um, the cards are, aren't super large, but they're, they're decent sized. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's okie dokie. If you're looking for a good solo solitary kind of game i highly recommend okie dokie i love pulling it out and playing it specifically by myself it's not one that i like to play with a lot of people but i i can and i will but it's a game that i really appreciate playing single player i think it's fantastic for that um another one of my favorite games is uh chronicles of crime i've never played it sololy um, because I always like having other people try and play it because I just think it's so much fun. And uh, Chronicles of Crime is uh, one to four players. I've played it with more than four people. It just has more people looking at the crime scene on the phone, kind of discussing things. So it can make it longer than the 60 to 90 minutes. Um, it's designed by David Circuro, and it's published by Lucky Duck Games. Um, the fun thing about Chronicles of Crime is you do use an app on your phone, and you can kind of download different stories. And there are scenarios that come with the game, and then there are more scenarios that you can uh, purchase separately. Um, so one of the ones that, um, they have that you can purchase as a scenario is called Alice in London Land. And the description of it is when the crime scene is in an elaborately decorated room reminiscent of the tea party of Alice in Wonderland, things can go pretty crazy. Will you dare to get lost in this dark and unusual investigation that will drive you mad? This scenario is based on a synopsis idea of the Kickstarter backer who won the community vote made by nearly 2,000 people. And then it'll tell you who it's kind of written by. So this one was written by Cornelia Ruby and David Circle. 
Um, and they have different difficulties. Um, sometimes it'll have um, parental advisory um, just because it can be a little bit graphic. Maybe the crime scene has some blood in it or something like that. Um, but the the game comes with with several scenarios. Um, and then there are several expansions. There's the noir expansion, which is what it sounds like. It's in 1950s LA and you're a private eye. Um, and then there's Welcome to Redview, which if you like uh, kids on bikes, you'll probably like the Redview expansion because it's the 1980s and you're a teenager. And that is a different sort of um, game style than like the base Chronicles of Crime or even the noir um, because you're actually playing as a character. Um, and then recently, they've um, Chronicles of Crime has come out with um, fun little series that are standalone. They have the 1400s, the 1900s, and the 2400s. Um, so they kind of have a very far back past, a um, slightly more recent past, and then the future. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun to sit down and be like, all right, so this is your mystery. This is what you need to try and figure out. And then you go... And you use your phone and you scan the QR codes on the locations to go to that location. And then at that location, you can scan the QR codes to talk to people, ask them questions about different items you've found or other people you've met. And it's just like a, a fun mystery kind of game. And I really enjoy it. Um... I kind of recommend the like the smaller standalone packs. Um, I did pick up the fourteen hundred one, and that one is it was a lot of fun. I've only done like the tutorial on it, but it's it's smaller, it's slimmer. I will say it it has like kind of like fewer scenarios with it. I'm always hoping they come out with some more scenarios. Um, the game is. Just really a lot of fun. And one thing I do really enjoy about gaming is that it can bring people closer together. Because you'll sit down and you play a game and you tease and you laugh together and you munch on some things and you're laughing and you're joking around and I think playing a game with the right people can really endear you to a game. I have a lot of board games that maybe I don't break out as often as I used to, but I keep them on my shelf because they remind me of past times, of hanging out with different friends and different groups and being together and just having a good time because you don't 
have to be like Einstein to play a game. You just have to understand the game that you're playing. But as long as everybody that you're playing with is on the same page and you're having a good time, that's what matters the most when you're playing a game. When you're playing a game, you want everybody to be happy. You want everybody to be having a good time. (laughs) That's why there's always, you know, popular demand for party games is you're specifically getting together with friends, with a lot of friends, and you want to make a memory together. You want to play a game together. And that's what board gaming does. And maybe you want to get more into board gaming, or maybe you want to try some new things, and that's okay. But maybe the group you play party games with isn't the right group to play something to play something like pandemic. Maybe that would be too slow, too strategic for a group of people who like to play party games, and that's okay. You just need to find different games for different groups of people. But maybe your some of your party game friends want to play something a little bit more like Pandemic. And I'm not trying to sound like a little bit like a broken record. I just, I really want to see people playing games and enjoying games. I want people to find new things that they enjoy. And and if you're ever curious, know that there are other people who are curious as well. Other people who want to try something new. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this little uh, jaunt alone with me. Um, I had a lot of fun just kind of rambling about the games that... I love that I feel close to some other things that I enjoy. My question to leave you off with this week is what is a game that you have insanely fond memories of? Like I have insanely fond memories of Nuns on the Run. It's really dumb game, but I just get so many warm, fuzzy feelings with Nuts on the Run. (laughs) Um, As always, you can find us on our social medias. We are on Facebook at Uncontrollably Fine, Twitter and Instagram at Uncontrol Fine, and we have a TikTok at Uncontrol Fine. Lots of little videos there. And then we have a Discord, and you can find all these links in the description on this podcast. And with that, I will say, I am Ashley. Goodbye.